Hi, and welcome back to the Multifaceted Athlete with Coaching Lutz. I'm your host, Kelly Lutz. I am a USGA certified running and ultra running coach and certified strength and conditioning specialist. I am so excited to have you here today. We'll be talking all about running, aspects of running, strength training, and anything else that makes us humans who do sports. So let's dive right into this episode. I hope you love it. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another week. I have another guest interview for you. Before I tell you about that, some quick reminders. If you're local to the Denver Boulder area, it is September now, so we will be having our group trail run later this month. We are aiming for either the 24th or the 25th, but if you want to make sure that you get all the updates in your email, click the link in the show notes to sign up for the list and tell me which day you prefer. And if you want any specific topics or people, maybe yourself on the podcast, you can submit those also in the show notes or just email me directly, kelly at coachingclutz.com. I would love to cover whatever topics or interview whatever folks you want to hear from. So today I had the pleasure of talking to someone I met at Endeavor Run. She was there as a coach. Her name is Jessica Schneer. And she is a fellow trail and ultra coach. So originally, I wanted to have her on just to chat about how we're both trail and ultra coaches and how we love it and getting more women into the sport. And Jess suggested that we talk about diversity in trail running or lack thereof. So this conversation revolves around diversity, whether it's gender, racial, body, any of the above diversity in trail running and ultra running specifically and what we have seen, what we haven't seen, what we'd like to see, and just some of our thoughts on the situation. And we're hoping that this conversation will open up more conversations in the trail and ultra space because we really need to do something about the lack of diversity. And the first step is to start talking about it. So There are a couple parts where I think I misspeak and say people of color and I should have said BIPOC, so I apologize for that up front, but hopefully that doesn't take away from what you get out of this conversation, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I do, and let Jess and I know what you think and some of your thoughts on this type of conversation. So without further ado, let's get into this episode. Welcome back to another week of the Multifaceted Athlete. This week, I am joined by another person I met in Devo Run. She was one of the coaches there, and she's a fellow trail and ultra coach. Today, I'm joined by Jessica Schneer. Jess, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you, Kelly. I've been so excited for this. I'm super excited to um, have some good conversations with you. (laughs) Yeah, so today... We're going to dive into a little bit about how Jess got into ultra running. She just was on a podcast by Race Mob all about her coaching. So we're not going to dive too much into that. If you want to listen, that came out, I think, last week. Yeah, I think so. (laughs) Yeah, I'll link it in the show notes. But she had a great conversation over there. So anyone who wants to listen to more about that can go to Race Mob. And we're going to talk a lot about diversity in trail running today is a yeah. very important conversation. <laughs> totally. Yes. I've actually been really, really looking forward to having this um, chat with you. Um, I think it's a very needed conversation and it's something that like, 
I haven't been as vocal about in the past just because I think we all kind of diminish our own experiences. Like, I think that's a very normal thing for everyone to do. I think especially women to do. Mm -hmm. Um, But like we have all these experiences um, and we might see that someone maybe had like a worse experience or like a, a more important experience than we did. So we just kind of think like, oh, mine doesn't really matter. But I think in the past, like really few months and especially the past few weeks, I've like thought about it a lot more and realized like actually like all of my experiences that I had, like growing up, you know, as a person of color in a very like white community, like really affected who I am today. So I've just been really excited to chat about that with you. Yeah, I'm really excited to dive into it. We've been texting about it all week. Yeah, we have various <laughs> things we want to touch on. Um, but to get started, let's start with a little bit about you and how you got into running, first of all, and then how you got into ultra running, unless they were at the same time, then they're yeah. kind of the same. <laughs> yeah, no, they weren't at the same time. <laughs> Thankfully, not. I have a lot of respect for people who start out in ultra running. I think that's so cool. Um, but yeah, I started running really in like middle school and high school. Um, I ran track like all middle school and all of high school. Um and had like a decent experience with that. I like was not uh, like an amazing standout runner by any means, just pretty average, probably like below average for a little while, like slightly average for a little while. And then um, it was my senior year, I joined the cross country team on my high school team. Um, and that was just like the most amazing experience for me. And that's really where I like really started to actually love running. Um, I think always before it was just like my friends are on the track team. So I'm on the track team, like sort of thing. Yeah. Um, it was just a way to like be with friends. Um, I w- was not good at sports really in general, like anything with a ball, like was not my cup of tea. <laughs> so um, track was really the way for me to go because you don't have to do much. You just keep running one foot in front of the other. It was really simple. Um, so yeah, my senior year rolled around and on cross country, like on the team, I um, just met a lot of great friends and just had a great community there. And I think that's really where I like felt celebrated as a human instead of just like another person on the team um, in cross country, especially on the team that I had, like you really like everyone who's on the team is celebrated. It doesn't matter if you're the first person to cross the finish line, the last person, or if you're injured and not even running, like we love you no matter what. And I think that was really where I saw like oh, actually this running community is like kind of amazing. And I want to be like in this for the rest of my life. Um, So yeah, high school ended. I had a few offers to run for like really small schools, um, but kind of decided like, oh, I just don't think like I want to run in college. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, you know, kind of looking back, there were probably a few reasons behind that. But the main one that I cite is like, I wanted to go to a large school Um, so I ended up going to like a large research institution. I've always really liked science. So that kind of appealed to me, um, which is what I ended up pursuing anyways. But, um, so I just knew like, I want to go to a really big school and I want to like be surrounded by all these cool brains of like these professors and like all these different options, um, I wanted to give myself. So I didn't run for a team. Um, but I found out that the school that I went to, Iowa State University had a club running team. Um, so I joined the club team and really like pretty much everything that you get on like a college team you get in a club running team aside from the coach um I think so it's basically just all the the whole community um everyone who just loves running um but what I thought was really cool about that team is like everyone is there simply because they love running like they don't have a coach they don't have parents that are telling them to go to practice every day you know we're not bound by scholarships you just go because you just love running Mm -hmm. um and I think that was just a really neat like environment to be surrounded by Um, So that was kind of another time where I was like, 
really feeling celebrated as a human and just like for being on the team and just like really um, given that like race, the like race and running like aspect of life that like kind of became more like of my personality sort of thing. So that was kind of my start in running. Um, so always kind of did distance. I was never good at sprinting. I wish I, I always wanted to be a sprinter, was never good at it. Um, so I ran like the mile and the two mile in um, high school track. And then my senior year, I started running the 800 because I started getting a little bit faster. Um, and then of course, country, cross country, we run the 4k, um, which it was the 4k for some reason in Iowa. And they just switched it to 5k, like after I left school. Um, so kind of always did more distant side of things. And then my start in ultra running came about, um, it was my sophomore year of college. We had always just like really enjoyed trail running as like a team, um, on the women's team of the Iowa state, um, running club. And so there was just one day randomly, we're out on a trail run and one of my friends, her name is Zoe. Um, one of my best friends, she came up to me and was like, Hey, like I found this really cool race. Um, it's a trail race. And at this point, like I had never known that like trail racing existed. Like we had just gone out to trails just because it was fun. We had this like little two mile trail loop, um, just like a mile and a half away from campus that we would always just kind of do loops at. Mm-hmm. and um yeah that's typical Iowa running I guess loops <laughs> on two mile things um but um yeah so she came up to me and was like there's this race um and then there's a 10 mile option there's a 20 mile option or there's a 30 mile option which is the 50k and we're pretty type a people I think I would describe us as and we were like yeah like let's just do the the longest option like we have to travel all the way to this race anyways it's it was a looped race so it was 10 mile loop so we we're like if anything like we can just stop early. We'll just kind of do it. And I didn't know that ultra running existed at that point. It was just kind of like a coincidence that they had a a 50 K option. Um, I always joke, like, it's a really good thing that they didn't have anything longer than that because we might've been tempted to like go for that longer distance. if it was like 50 miles or something. So it was a good thing that didn't happen, but yeah, that was my first ultra. I was 20 years old. Um, Yeah, I, I just, I, I guess I, I remember that so vividly is because in typical trail running fashion, there was alcohol on the course and people were offering me like fireball and like all the, the fun aid station goodies. And I remember for a moment, I was like, did I just find like the secret way to underage drinking? Like <laughs> you have to run an ultra marathon to do it. But um, so, yeah, I didn't take anything on the course because I felt like that would have been a bad idea. But I just remember that was just kind of a funny everyone assumes that you're over 21 when you're ultra running. But mm-hmm. I think more and more these days, younger people are doing it, too, which is really cool. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of my start in ultra running. Um, it was an insane race. Um, it, so it was in the Midwest in Kansas city, mm-hmm. um, in February. So oh. like all the snow melt is happening <laughs> and it just so happened to rain the entire week before the, the race started. And for some reason they didn't cancel it, which I really think they probably should have in retrospect because the, um, the course just became like a total river of mud and was completely destroyed by all of the people running loops on it. And I can't imagine how long it took for those trails to like recover after that race so I'm surprised that they put it on um but I talked to the race director like a few years later I'm at a race that I ran with them again and he said that that race had like a 40 percent finishing rate um I had no idea when I ran it I just was like okay we're all out here running <laughs> um and turns out a lot of people dropped out so that was a very interesting um intro into ultra running I guess <laughs> 
Yeah, that's, I think you told me part of that story at Endeavor Run because it just came yeah. back to me as you were yep. speaking. But <laughs> that's so, that's so funny that you just went for the 30. Had you road raced? Yes. Before yeah, that? that's a good question. Um, Yeah, good question. I had run a half, well, a few half marathons at that point, maybe like two or three. Um, Hadn't run my first marathon yet. So I kind of knew going into it, I was like, oh, like maybe I should run a road marathon first, but we just, none of us had at that point, we had a, a group of girls that um, we all came out and kind of ran together. But um, yeah, I don't think any of us had run a marathon at that point. And we're just like, yeah, why not? Like it's on the trails. Like it's just a fun time. And I remember being on the course and like my watch told me that I hit 26 miles and I was like, oh my God, I just ran a marathon. <laughs> I was probably walking at that point anyways, but um, <laughs> yeah. So I had run um, a few road halves at that point. Um, and was competing in like cross country and track with the the club team. Um, so yeah, definitely a lot of um, fun distance events that we had been doing together already. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So it sounds to me like a crucial part of your running journey was having the support of a group. Yes. Yeah, I definitely say so. I think it probably would have been really hard for me to like, I don't actually, I, looking back, I never would have probably run much past high school Mm -hmm. um, without a community. So I was just really lucky that I had just met a few like really vital people in my life um, in throughout college that kind of just kept me um, in the sport. Like I've always like enjoyed running. Um, but what I really loved about it was the community aspect. Yeah, I feel like that's a big piece that's missing for people who start running like post college, because it's yes. really common for people not like us <laughs> to hate running yes. when they're in high school. Totally. Um, I guess I did hate running in high school, but not college anyway. Right. But yeah, like once you start in adulthood, you are most likely just starting on your own. And this kind of gets into where we want to go with this conversation. But I feel like that is a huge contributor to the lack of diversity, whether it's gender or race. Right. Um, because a lot, I feel like a lot of the groups, and this is changing from what I'm seeing, yes. are mostly men who are yes, white. <laughs> totally. Yep. And that yeah. can be really scary to join as a non-white man. Yes, absolutely. Man. I totally yeah. agree with that. I think like trail running in general, you know, it's, I think if you look at endurance sports as a whole, for the most part, like there's pretty much, you know, we can all agree on a lack of diversity, whether that's, you know, racial backgrounds or even like being in the LGBTQ community or like body type and body size. Like, I think there's a lack of diversity across all fronts. Um, but then we like, like look into, um, trail and ultra running and it's like even more like lack of diversity there, um, which I think is really interesting. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I've been looking forward to talking to you about this. Um, but I think there's been a lot of good conversations about it more so lately, um, that I've, um, I don't know, have made me think too about my own past. And that's why I said, like at the beginning, like in the past few months, I've really, really been like thinking, having the feet, like the really deep and like tough, like conversations with myself almost about like what's my background and like, why did I pick, choose the path that I did? And like, why do I like feel so lucky to be in the position that I am now? Um, well, there's always a reason behind that. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's going to be super helpful for anyone who wants to get into the sport, having you yeah. move more into a leadership position, being a coach and an athlete. So you can kind of like help pave the way a little more. Cause I think, I think that's one of the big things that needs to happen. Like obviously I'm a white woman and like me having these conversations is beneficial, but at the end of the day, like others need to be lifted up, yeah. not me. <laughs> yeah, totally. No, so. I think that's a great way to look at it. Like we can all, you know, share our stories and our voice, but like 
as much as we can uplift other people to share theirs too, that's important because, you know, my experience is probably going to be a little bit more mild than another person of color who might've grew up in, you know, a very white community too. Um, so like sharing everyone's stories, like we all have that background. It's just really important to talk about. Yeah. And so I want to touch on one thing before we dive in further to that, because you are the first recipient of the coaches of color initiative apprenticeship. Um, so can you talk a little bit about what that is and the goal of that program? Cause it's really awesome. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm so lucky um, to be a part of this program. Um, it feels like a dream still, like we are, I guess, three fourths of the way done with the first year, um, which is my apprenticeship program. And it's just like, it still feels like a dream to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the Coaching of Color Initiative was started out um, by the 8020 Endurance Foundation, which is a subset of 8020 Endurance. And they started this program to basically increase diversity um, in the endurance coaching community. So whether that's like trail and ultra running or marathon running, road running, you know, swimming, all of those things, um, just basically uplifting coaches, uh, coaches of color um, and, you know, supporting them in their, in their coaching career. So whether that's like, for me, like that was me starting my own coaching business and like actually really taking a dive into like this, this career path, which I never, ever would have done um, any other way um, without them. So I'm just like super thankful for them. Um, so yeah, it's actually really cool. Um, they next year will be the next recipient. So it'll be cool to be a part of that person's process too. Um, so yeah, applications will probably be opening up towards the end of the year and um, starts again, January 1st, which is exciting. Um, so just a little plug in there, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think really with that, like there's financial support and there's educational support and there is um, mentorship, you know, programs too within that. So I mentor um, or I mentor, I shadow someone new every month um, who like mentors me in the coaching field, um, which has been really, really amazing just to have that like support system. So like if I have a question, like I know who to go to or like if I need help, you know, making my website, like someone can help me with that, um, which has been really, really amazing because I think that is some of the big things that like really are difficult, you know, when it comes to starting your own business, it just, it doesn't just have to be coaching. Um, so it's really great to have that support system. Um, but I think what I've been thinking about more so in the past few weeks is it's also been like a sense of security and safety for me. I don't mean safety as in like not getting kidnapped, but I mean like as a sense of belonging, um, where I feel like really safe to be in this community and like people are helping uplift me and like grab my hand and help me up the steps, you know, to start my own business um, and, you know, work in this, um, this field, um, which especially in trail and ultra running coaching is not very diverse. So um, it's just really great to have that. Um, So that's, yeah, that's the Coaches of Color Initiative. Um, Yeah, really great program. I'm super excited to see it over the next few years, um, kind of just probably grow much, you know, much, much more and help a lot of, of people. Um, And I guess another note is like, I think it's really neat because it's not just the coaches that they're helping out like by having more coaches of color in the, the industry, um, the athletes are going to be supported too. Like we will be able to support more people of color in the fields, um, who are, you know, doing their, their favorite sports, their hobbies. And I think that's really key is, so it's not really just supporting the coaches, supporting the whole community as a, you know, as a whole. (laughs) Yeah. I think this program is, it's been much needed. And I think some other coaching groups can take some notes from this because as you were mentioning like the ones that most people who are in the space know of they don't have any diversity in terms of race 
Totally. Yeah. I think especially looking just really at endurance sports as a whole, but there are a lot of like coaching groups out there and you can very easily go into their websites and look at, you know, their coaches and see there's a, a lack of diversity there. Um, I think in many other sports that's improving. So like road running, um, I think there's a lot more diversity, you know, up and coming. Um, but then we look at trail running specifically and it's just not diverse at all. Um, and there's definitely a, a lack there um, that definitely needs to be improved on. I'm wondering if, so I was just watching a climbing competition right before this yeah. and climbing's kind of similar. It's not right. super diverse, especially at like the elite level. Right. And trail and ultra running and climbing are very young sports in terms mm-hmm. of like media presence and like the world right. popularity, I guess. Right. So I'm wondering if that is part of it um yeah I I don't think it's a huge part because I think there are like not more sinister but kind yeah. of like deeper problems that yes. occur within like especially like trail running right um because I know like safety is a huge issue right for a lot of people depending on where you're located and you know the other people around and and beliefs and everything. Totally. Yeah. I think that that's actually a really, really good point to, to pull up too, is like trail running is still a pretty new, you know, and growing, it's quickly growing, but um, a newer sport. And I think, you know, it's kind of like that late start phenomenon. So like when we think about just road running, marathoning, um, men have been running marathons for a very, very long time. Women weren't allowed to run marathons for like, I don't know, 30, 40 years after men were like first, you know, running, you know, official marathons. Um, so I think you can still see that today a little bit in like race numbers, even on road, you know, road marathons, there's often a lot less women who run it. And that's really just kind of like that late start, you know, coming in. And I think that's probably true within trail running when it comes to diversity and, you know, the people in there too. Um, but yeah, I think there are a lot more, like you said, sinister things happening in the background too. Um, when it comes to things like environmental justice and like accessibility to trails and like, you know, how close is the trail to your house? Like simple things like that. And I think, you know, there are a lot more like, you know, sinister things in the history of our world and especially in our country, um, that kind of affect those things a little, a little bit more and that make, you know, just even the accessibility more difficult for a lot of people. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like sometimes I forget that living in Colorado, (laughs) the trails are pretty accessible here, but even here, I mean, people think the trails are so close, like the mountains are close, so close to Denver, but you still have to drive totally, you know, 30 minutes, an hour to get to a good trail. And then especially if, you know, you're not someone who can work from home like I am, or you have to take public transportation to and from work, then how are you getting to the trails? And there's just a lot of things I feel like that people don't experience themselves that they don't realize others do and why that's like, a barrier to them because I feel like a lot of people are like oh running is so accessible you just need shoes right it's not the case yeah <laughs> running is is a lot more than that you know it's of course I think the number one thing is like the safety and accessibility like mm-hmm. you know I'm lucky to live in a place right now where like I can run from my doorstep I might av- avoid a few um, roads <laughs> nearby but for the most part I can run from my doorstep and like be safe and you know have a good long run just from my front door um And, you know, on that too, like I can drive 10 or 20 minutes and I know the trails to go to. So it comes down to things of like, you know, accessibility, but also like knowledge of good trails to go to, um, all of those things, you know, I think that, 
you know, it all contributes to like, who do we see in our trail systems and those sorts of things. Yeah. And I think a big part of it too, is who we see in the media and like in brands and everything. And this kind of gets into like the UTMB coverage that everyone's talking about. Um, UTMB as a whole is not diverse, but I feel like there's been a lot of discussion around like there was so much focus on the men versus the women's race. I personally didn't watch, so I can't weigh in on the like coverage part of it, but I've been reading some, some of the Twitter threads. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yeah. I actually did watch it and I definitely would agree. I remember there was one point where I think, uh, one of the top females was finishing. I don't remember if it was for CCC or UTMB, one of the races, um, she was finishing and they were showing one of the men running on the course on like a different race. And I was like, wait, I really want to see this girl finish. <laughs> like what's going on here? Um, I think they ended up panning over to her at like the very end, but um, yeah, just simple things like that. It's like, mm-hmm. who are you showing on screen? Um, and like you mentioned about brands, like I think a lot of brands are doing a lot better about diversifying their um, advertisements and things, um, not only on the front of, you know, you know, diversity in um, racial backgrounds, but also body type, um, which yeah. has been really neat to see. Um, but what I think is also important to note, like on that front too, is yes, like the advertisements are increasing in diversity, but like, who are these companies sponsoring in terms of their athletes? Mm-hmm. Um, and who are they giving like financial support to? And I think when we look at a lot of those things, um, we see like the numbers go back down. So yes, advertisements might be getting better, but then we look at sponsorships and, you know, the numbers go way back down for just like diverse backgrounds. Um, so I think like, that's just another thing to note, like, you know, needs to be improved in the next, you know, now, now really, but in the next few years, especially, um, will be important to do. Yeah, I agree. Cause I feel like when I think of, sponsored athletes I know not that I know super many but like the only diverse one that comes to mind is Myrna and she's like I feel like she's used in so many places which like I love her and it's great but at the same time I feel like she's not the only one yes let's get another face in there like yeah, (laughs) yeah exactly and I think that's really key too and I think that's where a lot of the conversations about just you know, trail running diversity in general is coming in. It's like, it's the same couple of people like over and over again. And yes, I'm super mm-hmm. glad that those people are uplifted and like have that support, but like, let's get a few more people in there and like, let's, you know, divert, like make the diverse faces, you know, come out there too. And um, we want to see a lot of people supported, um, a lot of people, you know, with different backgrounds. Um, it's not just like the couple to meet the quota, um, you know, sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like one of the things that maybe an argument that someone who thinks this isn't an issue would make is that like the sponsored athletes out there they're sponsored for a reason and then they're like better than others but I feel like everyone is missing such a huge opportunity of talent that like people just aren't paying attention to and like yeah there's a lot of good white people but there's also a lot of good non-white people and like totally non you know super skinny not that super skinny is bad but right no totally just like diverse bodies diverse everything um yeah I read a really interesting article lately I don't remember where it was I think it was about Mario Mendoza um he is a pro runner ultra runner I don't remember for what brand um but they interviewed him and um it was basically him talking about like his journey to becoming like a, a sponsored athlete as a person of color 
And mm-hmm. I think he brought up the point. I really hope that it was about him because now I'm thinking, I'm like, wait, was it? I'm pretty sure it was. But anyways, um, he had talked a lot about like, he won all these like really big races. And like, by that point, like many people would have already been like offered sponsorships by big brands, but it took mm-hmm. him a lot longer. And he almost had to like fight for himself and like, really like put himself out there and win like more races than the average sponsored runner needed to just to get those offers. Um, and I think that's really interesting is that like, you know, people are there and they're, they're winning races and like very deserving of these sponsorships and they, you know, have to fight a little bit harder to get them. And I think that's just something to note too. um, when it comes to these, like brands really need to like, look at, you know, like what's, you know, who are they sponsoring? Mm -hmm. Why are they giving out these specific sponsorships? And like, you know, can they outreach, you know, more groups of people instead? Yeah. And I feel like even beyond um, sponsoring people, it'd be nice for like maybe the brands and the bigger companies, if they started some initiatives, kind of like the coaches of color initiative, because like we were mentioning earlier, I feel like a big barrier is not having access to the trails or like not having a group you feel comfortable with. And I feel like, financially brands have the money that could help with that. Definitely. I totally agree. I think I would love to see like a little bit more initiative from brands. Um, like for those things, I have seen some groups pop up. Um, one I'm thinking of right now is, um, the only reason I know this is because I have an athlete who like started this group, um, but it's in Portland and Mm -hmm. it's a women of color trail running group. And it's specifically for like women or like non-binary, um, people, um, to come join, um, specifically for people of color, they just go out and run trails together. Um, I think it's just like a really incredible thing that like, they're all there supporting each other. Um, that's a group that they started on their own. It's through trail mixed, um, which is a company, um, who supports, you know, like diversifying the trails really. Um, but you know, so we've, we see these groups coming up and like they're, they're popping up, you know, all over the U S um, but I haven't seen a whole lot in terms of like brands actually sponsoring like specific initiatives like that. Mm-hmm. Or even just brands like highlighting those groups so right. that people know about it. Cause I feel like that's the biggest, maybe not the biggest, but one of the big struggles with like starting a group like that's like, right. I started a group for kind of same idea, but not, yeah. obviously I'm not a woman of color. Sure, so yeah. it's just women and non-binary folk who want to yeah, run on trails. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, but like, I mean, not that I need my group to grow, but I'm a pretty small person, small creator. So my reach is small. And I imagine like some people have bigger reaches who want to start some of those groups, but I imagine a lot of people don't. And it'd be nice for brands or maybe just like a big creator because like social media, we can't deny it. It's such a big part of our world now. Yes, (laughs) I'm just like getting information out there. So I feel like it'd be nice if, those with a bigger platform lifted up the smaller ones who are trying to make changes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really important point because we look at these groups and it's targeting people who maybe are already out running trails, but what about the people who aren't running trails, but maybe are interested or don't even know that that's like an activity that they can participate in. Um, So like, how do we reach those people too? And I think that's important to note. Like there's so many people out there that I'm sure you know, would love to run trails, but just don't even know that it's an option or don't know how to start. Um, so like just, you know, having those groups available to them, like beginner trail running or, you know, having like workshops and things like brands could, 
easily sponsor, I'm sure, um, and, you know, and put out there, um, but it's just not happening yet. So it's, it's been interesting to see um, kind of how that's developing on its own. Um, and then, you know, it's already there, you know, brands just need to, to put some financial sponsorship in it too, probably. <laughs> yeah. And something I think is, this is probably not interesting that most other people, well, <laughs> I guess I shouldn't say that. Something <laughs> I find interesting yeah. that surprises no one, I should say, is that there were a lot of conversations around this in 2020. Yes. And from the little research I've done, there have been no conversations since. Right. And it's, yes. been, it's been two years. Like Yes, I totally agree. Yeah, I think I remember like looking back to 2020 and obviously it was like a really sad and just like crazy time with obviously all of the, the things that were going on, but also the pandemic on top of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember it was like that point in time where everyone was posting like, the black boxes on their Instagram feed and yep. like support. I remember that happening and just thinking to myself, like, what is this doing? And like in a year or two from now, like what the heck are these black boxes going to mean? And in reality, like, I think for a lot of people, they didn't do anything. Like, you know, maybe we had a conversation and we like posted something in solidarity, but then nothing happened after that. So I think that's a really the important thing that you brought up too, is like, where these conversations now and I think there are they're a lot like far and few between um as compared to 2020 um and it's really interesting um to to, you know to kind of look at that dynamic yeah I'd be super curious to do like a deeper dive not you and I doing this but like if someone looked at like the data and was like okay this brand or this person said they were going to do this in 2020 have they followed through and it if not, like, why? Yep, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, I think, you know, and it's, I don't want to put it this way, but like, there are always like sexy topics to talk about, whether that's like climate mm-hmm. change or like diversity. Um, and, you know, they aren't always going to be sexy to talk about because there's going to be a point where you're going to have to do something about it. And that becomes a lot less like appealing to a lot of people like, oh, actually, we got to make this change or like, you know, financially sponsor something or, you know, whatever it might be, or like have really uncomfortable conversations beyond just like, oh, there's this problem and we need to solve it. But like actually having the conversation that can be really uncomfortable, but like actually solving the problem or like working to solve the problem. And I think that's where a lot of people get off put and a lot of, you know, brands stop, you know, supporting, you know, or like having that conversation. Yeah. I imagine for brands, it would be very uncomfortable because they do only have a limited number of sponsorships each year. And if they do want to change the diversity of who they're sponsoring, they're going to have to make the hard decisions of who to drop. Totally. Yep. Yep. I think that's, I think that's a good point too, but also at the same time, like, can, like, is it possible just to like make a few more spots on the team? Like how much, like would that, like affect a brand in reality like a lot of these huge brands like they have a lot of money Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you know we can just expand a little bit you know I think that's like an important topic to have is like a conversation to have is like actually we can just create more spots on the team and like uplift more people nobody has to take away spots from other people like I'm sure that we have the financial means to like just you know, sponsor a few more people or something like that. So um, I think that's something that's important to know is like, nobody's out here to like, grab your sponsorships and take them away from you. <laughs> like we can support many people all at once too. 
Yeah, that's a great point because I feel like that is one of the hurdles for the people who are currently benefiting from the system. Right, totally. (laughs) Um, Which we see in not only not only athletics, you know, in the workplace, just in U.S. in general. Yes. Like, oh, if I help these other people, then I'm losing something. It's like, no, then we'll all be better. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, exactly. And if we're all better, like the world is better, which is just a crazy thing to think about. (laughs) Yeah. I've had a couple of discussions recently around like diversity in the workplace Mm -hmm. um, because I work in tech. And so women are women in general are underrepresented and with the push the past couple years to be more um, equitable I feel like a lot of men are like they feel like they're missing out on opportunities now because some some women are getting it and it's like okay you just didn't have this competition before right these quality candidates were always here right yeah they're they're just as qualified as you are and they you know they have all the experience in the education like there's nothing like you just might have to work a little bit harder in that situation but you know in that topic too I think it's important to like you know I don't like to use the word privilege very much because I think a lot of people like like retreat from that and they think it's like a bad thing but like everyone has privilege Mm -hmm. (laughs) I have privilege even as a woman of color um and it's just like recognizing that like some of these things are more accessible to me. Like I can run a mile and a half and there's a trail that I can like hook up to, I mean, run for, you know, miles and miles. Um, that for me is privilege in the trail running world. Like that, like mm-hmm. it's really accessible for me. Um, so like having privilege isn't a bad thing. And that's why like, I'm, I am careful to use the word because a lot of people think that it is. Um, but I don't think that it is. I think it, what it's important though is recognizing where you have privilege. Um, so like having a healthy body that can move is like a, a form of privilege because some people don't. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, having trails accessible to you or being able to run from your front door is like a, a sort of privilege um, that not all people are, you know, have the safety and security to do that. Um, so I think like that's another thing to note too is like, yeah, like, I didn't, you know, like I might look at a situation and be like, oh, like I went through that situation fine. Like these other people can do it too. Um, but in reality, like I probably just had more privilege coming to that situation than someone else who might be struggling. So hopefully we can uplift everyone um, no matter what their background is too. <laughs> yeah. And I think along those lines, when you say privilege, it made me think of one of our text exchanges earlier this week when we were talking about how we wanted to talk about diversity and you were like, right. you were mentioning that there were some occasions where you didn't feel welcome in trail running. Right. And like my privilege is that I've never felt unwelcome in trail right. running in the body of a white woman. Totally. Um, Which I think is really important for a lot of other white people to realize, maybe not just white people, other people in general. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but it. Yeah, like just because I have experiences where I'm like, oh, I can just go to a trail and I'm totally right. fine. That's not everyone's experience. And right. that can be the hurdle for someone not getting into trail running. Right, exactly. I always like think of like the situation as say you're going to a race and you show up on race day and you show up to the start line and you're the only woman there. Everyone else, it's all men. You might have a moment where you're like, am I supposed to be here? Like, mm-hmm. is this race made, like race made for me? Like, you know, am I really supposed to be at the start line? Um, you might be able to run the race anyways. You might be able to finish, but maybe like you won't come back. And I think that's reality for a lot of like 
you know, minority groups Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to like showing up to these trail races is like, they might show up and they might be the only person of color and they might notice it. And that might be whether or not they come back. Um, And I think that's, what's really important to note is yeah, they might be there, but like, what are their retention rates? Like how welcome are they Mm -hmm. feeling? How safe do they feel? And again, like, I don't mean safety as in like not being kidnapped even, um, but safety as in like and a sense of inclusion and a sense of belonging. And once they get that, like they'll come back and, you know, the numbers will grow. But I think what, you know, the reality of the situation is like they show up and they aren't, you know, they don't have that sense of safety and then they don't come back. Um, so I think that's something that's really important to note too. Yeah, definitely. So do you think it would be fair to say that like in those situations, because the reality is that's a lot of trail races now, right? maybe not just like one person of color, but a large minority yeah at the race start do you think it'd be fair to say that as a non-person of color we should try to make more of an effort to like not like approach the other person yeah like make more of an effort to make them feel welcome and included and just like feel like they're part of the group do you think that's a fair assessment totally yeah I think that's like a really hard um topic to come like into because it's like well am I singling that person out because I know that they're different or Mm -hmm. um am I actually like just wanting to be like helpful and inclusive for everyone um so I think that's like you know a really like it can go either way um and I think you know it really just depends on how you approach the situation um for me like I'm I think I'm really vocal about this and like this is like the whole basis of like my coaching company is like just sharing like the love and support and celebration for everyone who comes across that and making sure that you aren't missing out on anybody um especially those like you know those minority groups um so like even when you're on this doesn't even have to be in a race setting but even when you're on the trails like just being really nice and like smiling at them and like saying hello or good morning or whatever it might be and just making sure that like whatever happens to, you know, whoever that person is, they feel welcomed there. Um, and I think that's really key is because, you know, chances are like, you never know who you're coming across on the trail. If it's a stranger, you never know if it's their first time on the, the trail or their hundredth time on the trail. Um, so I always say just like act as if, you know, that person is brand new here and just say hello, smile, make sure they feel welcomed and like be on your way. Cause I think I've had a lot of situations in my own life where like I was out on a trail and not even just like as a person of color, but as a woman has just been like a little scared, um, mm-hmm. on edge. And all it took was one person to like say hello and smile at me to be like, Oh, okay. Like this place isn't so bad. Like I can come back here. Um, so it's just simple things like that. I think, um, it's just one way to kind of like make sure people feel included. Um, and that goes across all fronts. It doesn't matter, you know, who you are, your background, but just making sure everyone feels included. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a great point. And just like, just acknowledging other humans. Right. That they're there. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Totally. I always say like, just say hello, smile. And if yeah. nobody, if they don't say anything back, then just think of me and I'm giving you a fist bump for doing it anyways, <laughs> <laughs> because there are going to be chances or times where you're going to say hello to someone out on the trail and try and be welcoming and they'll probably ignore you <laughs> yep. and like not even acknowledge you. And that's fine. Just think of me. I'm smiling and like high-fiving <laughs> you for doing it anyways. <laughs> 
yeah I always try to say hi to everyone on the trail too yeah totally me too it's hard sometimes because it's like on the big climbs or when you're in the middle of an interval or something it's like the last thing I'm going to do is try and talk right now but I have to (laughs) yeah I'm a big fan of like the little wave yep me too (laughs) in San Diego a lot of people do like the like um hang 10 thing which is really five voice so that was really goofy but I think I might try start doing that too (laughs) that's so funny (laughs) very um surfer vibes over here very San Diego that doesn't happen in Colorado yeah (laughs) hang 10 on the trails (laughs) so one thing I want to get your thoughts on is related to UTMB so first I'm curious if you see this too so on Instagram when I see UTMB a lot of people are talking about the how UTMB is very white right and on Twitter when I see about UTMB everyone's talking about how UTMB is very male and it's I feel like these shouldn't be two different discussions it shouldn't be like where are the women it should be like where are the women and the people of color right because it, it reminds me of like the pay gap like white women we are paid less than men but we're right. also paid a lot more than like black women right. and hispanic women and we all need to be included in these conversations it's not just like how do we get more white women into the sport right you know so have you seen kind of the same thing or I'm curious what you yeah think? no I think that's a really good point like they are typically separate conversations and I don't think they really have to be like we can uplift many groups of people all at once um it doesn't just have to be like you know like the um almost like the late start phenomenon again where like it's men and then it's women and then it's people of color and then it's mm-hmm. you know LGBTQ community and then it's all you know it doesn't have to go in that order like yeah. we can uplift all these people at once um I think it's just tricky of like, how do we do it? And I think that's like a conversation that needs to be had because I don't think there's ever a straightforward answer of like, how do we make this, you know, this race or trail running more accessible to, you know, this one group of people, but also these, you know, other six group of people too. Um, So I don't know. I think that's um, a tough topic and like something that, you know, is like really hard to figure out and like the conversations need to keep being had. Um, because we'll start to have more solutions and more answers to the the problem if we just keep talking about it and like actually reach out to these groups of people and be like what can we do to help you Um, I think Mm -hmm. that's important is like making sure that whatever minority group we're talking about is included in the conversation too yeah I think at the UTMB scale it's like a much harder problem just like I don't know the you know, the racing side of it, how they let people in, how they decide who to let in and everything. But um, what you were just saying about like asking the people who are not represented, how you can help them more is one thing I'm not really seeing on Twitter, which, you know, probably doesn't surprise anyone. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Um, But a lot of the responses I'm seeing are like, well, is the lack of women just showing that women aren't interested in running this race, which I feel like once people start talking about um the people of color as well that'll be a question too like are they just not interested and it's like I that's a very surface level question right that doesn't dive into the layers of like why they might not be interested or like right I feel like in a lot of situations and this is partially why I started coaching um is to like help other women see women run ultras who aren't the elite um because I feel like a big part is just not seeing people who like 
you relate to or look like right. you running these races and then you're like oh well I'm not that's not for me right totally no I think that's a really really important um, topic to bring up too because like you know in any situation like I think people are interested like everyone wants to run UTMB maybe not everyone but like yeah. there's always going to be people from every group that wants to run a race um, they might just not first off like for training for UTMB like that's a pretty insane course and like especially when we think about the U.S. compared to that terrain like it's really hard to replicate that so like how do people of diverse groups like even replicate training for that and that sort of thing um, and if they aren't first off seeing people who look like them you know doing that training um, have accessibility to that training um, all of those things like there's no way they're going to show up to that start line. Like that's just first off, like they know better, like that's probably not safe. Um, but I'm sure there are people out there who would love to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I think it's like really improper to assume that like, oh, these people just aren't interested. That's why they're not there. Um, there's a lot of like underlying things that, you know, like point out why they're not there in the first place. Um, so I think that's really, you know, I think it's like a really, easy way out to like say like oh these people just aren't interested and that's why they're not there um mm -hmm. that's not the case you know first off they might not even know that it's that it exists um yeah. you know that sort of thing um they might not know how to get themselves there on um, that sort of thing so there's just a lot um when it comes to that yeah and like that doesn't even touch on like how much it costs to get there yeah like from the U.S. which is I mean insane yeah. yeah for most people I feel like that's not an easy right trip to make yeah I think even looking at like um the trans Rockies race which is in the U.S. um <gasps> yeah yeah like that it's so expensive and understandably like it needs to be expensive because it is quite the endeavor mm -hmm. but you know how do we make that more accessible like how do we uplift more people to do like an event like that even within our own country um and it's just like really not not like that feasible for most people to get to, um, to run, to pay for. And then we look at the results of that and we look at like who runs it. And it's very much just like one group of people who does it. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, you know, even within our own country, we see many, many events like that um, that have the same exact issue. Yeah, I know Leadville has been in the discussion mm -hmm. a lot too. Yeah, that very, one too. Very white. I feel like a lot of these bigger races, like- the population that's already doing it, I would venture to say, would pay a little more in order to like sponsor some other athletes that might not be able to pay for it. Right. Or to yeah. get more people into the race. Um, because I feel like that's like I don't know the logistics of it from a business perspective, right. but I feel like that's an easy way to be like, okay, we're going to open up this many either discounted spots right. or sponsorship spots so like that this group of people if you want to run this race but you can't afford it you can apply and then yes everyone else who like is more than able to pay for the race can cover the difference right I think that's um, a really really good point to bring up I think I saw a race company in maybe the PNW um, who did something like that where it was like I think it was through trail mixed um, which is the company that we were chatting about earlier, but um, they did like a, a race, um, like scholarship type of deal where this race company, they have like it as an option, like you can, if you can't afford this race, like let us know and like apply for this instead. And like, they'll sponsor you to run it instead. Um, so I think like 
just something, you know, it's, it's honestly like pretty simple, like to, to yeah. set up something like that. And, um, I think a lot of people would, would gravitate towards that. And like, I'm always willing to, to, um, like support more races that do that. Like if someone does that, like, I'm probably going to like want to travel to the race for that exact reason. Um, but when it comes to race companies too, something that just popped into my mind is like, a lot of them aren't taking stats even on like who's running their races. Like, oh. yes, like male and female is pretty easy. That's mm-hmm. on you know, typically on your race sign up. But a lot of times we have these big races and we can see like from the footage or from seeing it like that they're not diverse. Like it might be a lot of white people, um, but there's no stats being taken. And I think that that's a really important like a year yeah I know this this is your area but like data (laughs) is really important um Mm -hmm. and just like having those numbers so you know like year to year if you are making changes is it like actually working like you know is the are the numbers diversifying and it can be really simple I think just on like the race registration form you can make it an optional question and like make it an, an anonymous form and just like ask people about their, their backgrounds. It doesn't just have to be racial diversity. It can be everything mm-hmm. um, and get some stats from your participants of like, who, who are you actually, you know, besides just like the typical um, race sign up um, questions that you get, um, you know, and then you can actually get like, okay, we have like 95% white people, 5%, you know, people of color, like, what can we do about that now? And then from then on, you can actually use data to like, I'm a, I'm a scientist, so I'm really into data too. Um, but like actually use that as like something to like help push you forward when it comes to like diversifying those spaces too. Because like, yes, we all see it and we know that it's a problem, but we don't have numbers tied to it oftentimes for a lot of races. And I think I've seen a few road races um, employing that a little bit more, but definitely not in trail running. Yeah, that's a really good point. One of my complaints about the UTMB discussion on Twitter is that they have the breakdown of men versus women. Right. And it's like, where's the breakdown of even further than that? Right, totally. Um, yep. And I think another thing with UTMB that I read um, actually on Instagram is they they only had like a male and female um, like race categories. They didn't oh. have like non-binary or anything like that. Um, which I thought was really outdated because I've seen many, many trail races even today who offered like another option too. Um, Mm -hmm. And I guess I heard, I don't know, I didn't look up the race registration form, obviously, but um, I heard that that was not an option either, which I think that seems really dated to me. And if a race is still not offering any other options besides male and female, like there's something going on there that like shouldn't be. Yeah, definitely. That's not very welcoming for anyone who doesn't yeah. identify as a male or female. Totally. And like, if I was in that position, I that would make me not want to run the race. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, yeah, I don't there's not even either an, of these boxes. Yeah, there's not even an option. Yeah, yeah, that's um, that's really big too. I think, and that almost goes down to like the bare levels of like, you know, yeah. everyone has to answer that question to run the race. And like, if you don't identify with either of those, like, that's a huge problem. Um, mm-hmm. so I think that's really interesting. Like with UTMB being such a big race and like literally like the biggest trail running race in the world um, to not even offer that like that just seems wild to me because even like western states and like all of the you know the big races in the U.S. like I'm pretty sure most of the I've seen most of them offer um, different options too but um, UTMB didn't. Yeah, I, I would be curious as to their reasoning for yeah, that. Totally, yeah, totally. They just like never even thought about it yet. Right. Which I'd also be surprised by in this day and age. <laughs> right. Totally. Yeah. Same. <laughs> yeah. Um. So back what you were saying about not having the data, I 
That is a really good point because I feel like, especially since you and I are both coaches, like one of the big things in order to see progress is like, you need to see where you're coming from. Exactly. And so like in the diversity situation, like you were saying, if we don't know where we're starting, we don't know if they're improving. improving. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that that's really key. And like it, you can make it an optional and very anonymous question to answer. Um, so that, and you can literally say like race directors can put it in like the little question, like we're trying to improve diversity in our, in our race. So like, this is a very vital question that we have to ask you and like, it's optional. You don't have to answer it. Um, and it's purely anonymous. And then just like kind of getting that data, I think is like a really important first step really. Um, Mm -hmm. cause like I said, like we all see it, but we don't have numbers tied to it. And like, without data, we're kind of nothing. And like all the steps that we make, we don't know if they're working or not. Um, so I think that that's, um, really, really an important, like almost like first step that a lot of, um, races can make at least. Yeah. And then I think one step further from that, other than gathering the data is like releasing the data right to the public. Yes. I think that's, that's a really, really key point too, is like, you know, at least, you know, even if the data doesn't look good, like, you know, it's still descriptive of like, who's in your race. Um, and I think a lot of people can learn from that and other races can learn from that too, if you're just open about releasing that. Um, but yeah, it's just like the, the, someone making the first step to doing that. Um, and I have seen a few road races, I think, um, kind of putting that out um, and like at least taking the data in and like asking the question. But um, I yeah, haven't seen it in trail running yet. <laughs> no, I haven't seen it in trail running either. But that does make me hopeful if it's happening in road running, because usually yeah. I feel like things usually happen in road running right. first and then totally trickle over (laughs) yeah yeah there's usually more of a demand in road running because I think it is you know more diverse to start at least right now uh, maybe not in the past but um so like there's always more of a demand for those sorts of things and hopefully like you said trickle in um to trail too (laughs) yeah hopefully uh so we've been talking a lot about racial diversity in trail running and I just want to touch really quick on uh, what you mentioned earlier about body diversity. Yeah. Because you and I both listened to a podcast this week that had yep. us very frustrated <laughs> with uh, around the language that these men were using to describe ultra runners. Yeah. Um, and we're not going to name names, but the basic thing that these men said were every female ultra runner they know is a badass and lean. Right. And... You and I agree that that is very off-putting to yes. the majority of the female population. And it's just, especially when you have such a large following in the trail and ultra space, it's just yeah. not something you should be putting out there if you want more people to get into the sport. For anyone listening, um, Jess and I, I just wanted to say that you don't have to be lean to be an ultra yes. runner. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that just goes to show, especially because like these figures like were coaches and like prominent people in the the ultra running world. And like, if you are like talking in language like that, like you are totally like making one group of people and like telling them like, you don't belong here. Like Mm -hmm. you can't, you know, like you don't, this isn't your space. Um, And that's really terrible because, you know, trail running can be for everyone. It doesn't matter, you know, your body size, your body shape or any of those things. Um, like you can run ultras, you know, you can do these things. And I think that's, um, you know, I want to make sure that like everyone feels super welcome to do, to do that. And like, to start their journey in trail and ultra running, because it is, um, 
it should be a welcoming community. It may not always feel like it, um, but I think there are a lot of people out there who want it to be welcoming and want it to be as welcoming mm-hmm. as they're experiencing. Um, so it's always this like kind of couple of bad eggs that, um, you know, really ruin it for everyone else, I think. Um, but language is everything. And as, as coaches, I think that's super important and like really important to be cognizant about, especially ex- especially if you're such a, a big coach in the world and have such a, like a large following in your podcast. Like, I think that's, that's so key. So yeah, here, yeah. Kelly and I are here to tell you that you belong. <laughs> um, and we want to see you out here. Um, we want to see, you know, the diversity. Um, it doesn't matter, you know, what your background is or what you look like. We, we want to see you out here um, and we want you to feel comfortable. Um, so hopefully we can help contribute to that. Yeah. And along those lines, um, I do want to name names here. <laughs> this is what I texted you about earlier, yep. <laughs> the runner's world article that I was reading about yeah. ultra running. Um, so basically they were writing about how, like the comparisons of how ultra running is trending. And one of right. the data points was that I'm actually going to read it word for word. Yeah. <laughs> so four ultra runners have never been slower. In 1996, the average pace across distance, gender, and age group at ultramarathon races was 11.35 minutes per mile. Currently, the average pace is 13.16 minutes per mile, which is a slowdown of 15%. And this was in 2020, late 2020. So who knows what it is in 2022 because the sport has grown. Right. Um, And then it says researchers believe this is because the sport is now more mainstream, attracting runners who are not as well prepared. And I just want to know who edited this article and let this go through. Yeah, that's bad. Um, Runner's World, like I think we chatted about this, but is not like the greatest when it comes to just in general, like inclusivity and all those things. And just really Mm -hmm. their articles kind of suck sometimes. But um, yeah, this one was like, I was really shocked when I read it and when you sent it to me, um, you know, we're not, I don't think we're slower. Like, I don't think that's the case. I think that just shows that we are like increasing diversity in the sport. And it's not just the people who are like running super fast up and down mountains and like, you know, trying to get sponsorships. Like it's actually a lot of different people out there now. And like, Mm -hmm. that's not a bad thing. Like we're just diversifying pace groups, which I think is important too, because that means like, it doesn't matter what pace group you're in, but like, hopefully you'll have somebody to run with and someone to meet and like become friends with. And I think that's really important. Um, so yeah, I think that was a really interesting way that they worded that and like, not a great, like they could have gone in a much better direction with that. Like Mm -hmm. they could have said like, oh, like we're increasing diversity towards many different types of people and different paces, different pace groups. And like, you know, our races are supporting that, um, but they went a very wrong direction with that, I think. Yeah, I, so I have a couple issues with this. The first and foremost is saying that if you run slower, you're not well prepared, which is just like total bullshit. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) And like my second issue is, has to do with how they're relaying the data. Right. Because without the details of like, what was the split between men and women in 1996 how many people were in there and then like versus what you're looking at now like I feel like this is a total tangent but people do this a lot with the they don't know how to interpret data and then they put it out there and oh yeah that's a big big problem in the past couple of years I think (laughs) Um, a huge problem just like COVID and all those things too Um, but yeah. yeah it's frustrating but yeah I think that's a really good point and like 
also, yeah, there's just a lot of missing points from that, that Mm -hmm. statement. Like also, I'm sure there are more ultra running races in the world now, like in the U S and I'm sure more of them are like over mountainous terrain. So people are going to be running slower anyways (laughs) in that situation. So like what kind of races are you taking data on? Who are the people you're taking data on? Like male versus female splits. Like, yeah, that's a big one. That's a really easy one that you could have reported on. And they're just missing a lot. And like, I think assuming a lot of things off of like one data point, which like never leads to a good situation. <laughs> no. And for anyone listening, like 13, 16 as an average for an ultra is yeah, that's pretty amazing. Actually. Yeah. Right. I feel like most of mine are slower than that. And I've only run 50 Ks. I say only, but I've run the shortest yeah. ultra distance. So like, I imagine, you know, if I did a hundred, my average pace would probably be even slower, but right. yeah, this is just another instance of like, a super prominent magazine in right. the running world putting out something like this is very off-putting to anyone who's interested in ultras and be like oh I can't run an 11 minute pace on trails right. yeah yeah and like yeah like you said 13 minute pace is not slow and they're really like making that seem like that's like a terrible thing yeah. um it's not like <laughs> Um, so I don't know. That's very interesting. I run many 15 minute miles out on the trails and I'm more than happy to do that. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Their wording is just terrible. Their integration is terrible. Um, not a great, not a great quote or article, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah, it was, it was not the best, but I guess let's end on some good news Yeah, as of 2020, which still, that was two years ago. Um, women, made up 35% of ultra runners up to the 50 mile distance, Yay. Yep. which is that's exciting. Amazing. Yeah. That's, I mean, I'm sure like such a huge improvement. Um, mm-hmm. and that's just really cool. It's really cool to hear. Um, hopefully just getting better and better more towards that 50% work. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And beyond that, it was less than 25% in the longer distances. So lots of room for improvement. And yeah. again, as we've mentioned many times, like this, stat is only women as a whole, right? So I could not find anything on um, racial statistics. Yeah, yeah, sport. I think, yeah, definitely something that we're missing, I think. And it's <laughs> it's it's pretty simple to take data like that. Like it doesn't take that much extra um, and it's like really important information to have. Um, I think um, the Trail Society podcast, I don't know if you listen to that, but mm-hmm. occasionally they um, put out more statistics about like FKT attempts. I think in their, one of their recent podcasts I listened to, they actually had data on like the amount of people like working towards an FKT or like getting an FKT um, fastest known time um, mm-hmm. if, for anybody who's listening who might not know what that means but um, yeah so I think that was really cool and I think this year was the first year where it was like more split 50 50 with like male and female like getting FKTs um, which I think was really cool and they actually did um, have some data on like um, on racial makeup of that too. I don't remember exactly what it was, um, but I just thought it was cool that they like actually had numbers. The numbers were really, really low, but they actually had data on it, which I think was, um, was actually really enlightening to hear. Um, so hopefully like the numbers will just go up too. <laughs> yeah. I I'm excited to see where the sport goes in the coming years and hopefully, hopefully we'll see, you know, people put their money where their mouth is. <laughs> yeah, totally. I think, yeah, that's the big thing. Like the conversations have been had, they happened in 2020, but like what's next and like, where did they go first off? And like, what are we going to do about it? Um, yeah. Put it your money where your mouth is, please. <laughs> yeah. And for those out there who are like me and are not 
um, BIPOC, we need to be doing our part. And like, as much as it kind of sucks, like white people have a lot of say in a lot of things. Yeah. So like we need to speak up and we need to help make the change. It's not only on the people of color. Right. Yeah. No, I think that's a really, really key point that you bring up too, is like, I see a lot of people, especially on social media, I think social media for better or for worse is like such a great way to learn from other people, uh, which is great. Um, But I've seen a lot of like the BIPOC community coming out and like sharing their stories and like, you know, helping make, you know, um, programs like that help make change. Um, But it's them kind of doing like that, um, that mm-hmm. brunt of the work. Um, and, you know, we can help support, you know, you can help support anybody, um, you know, helping share their stories, I think is a really like first easy step, you know, that you can do, which is what you're doing by like having me on here and like <laughs> having this conversation, which is so great. Um, but, you know, it's like, you know, it's not just on the, the, the BIPOC community, like to do this, um, it's going to take the effort of everyone to help, you know, diversify spaces. Um, so I really I'm, appreciate that you brought up that point. <laughs> yeah, I think it's an important point that either people don't w- want to mention or that is commonly forgotten. Um, so yeah, I think it's important to say it, especially as a white person. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, no, that's great that you bring that up. Um, yeah, and it, like it can be an uncomfortable conversation to have. Like it is for me even, mm-hmm. um, and I'm, you know, I'm um, in the BIPOC community. Like for me, like sharing my story has been like difficult sometimes. And like, um, like thinking back, like just a few weeks ago, like I had like a repressed memory, like come back from high school where I was like, oh my God, like, this is why I like feel this way. And I was like going into like the psychology of like my brain and like, oh my God, like no wonder, like I feel this way. Um, so it's like, you know, like things like that where I'm, um, you know, like trying to like, you know, almost go through that myself um, and like remember like, oh, well, like I can share my story too. Um, just because it might not have been as bad as someone else's doesn't mean that it didn't exist and it didn't happen. So I think like that's really um, important to note too is like you know everyone has a story everyone can contribute um, you know you you aren't any less of a person for any reason and you can't like not you can't share your story because of whatever reason um, your story matters <laughs> yeah definitely and this conversation is not the end of the conversation yeah. so we would like to encourage everyone listening to have your own conversations and like right. we as a group should just continue the conversations and I guess, do as much as we can to get the people in power to make some changes. Yep. We need to stick together in order for that to happen and collectively demand things. Yep, exactly. No, that's a great way to put it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Jess, thank you so much for having this conversation with me and being here today. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. It was so great to chat. Um, This was amazing. It's always great to talk to you. So um, I'm super happy. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, and if anyone would like to follow along with your journey or connect with you, where can they find you? Yeah, um, I have, I'm on Instagram. Um, that's pretty much all that I'm on right now. Um, it's at Jess underscore Schneer. And that's spelled J-E-S-S underscore S-C-H-N-I-E-R. Uh, I'm not great at social media, <laughs> which is, um, <laughs> it's not really my cup of tea. Um, I don't think I've ever used like a hashtag in my life. So I'm not super <laughs> great at it, um, but I do post on there and you can follow my journey on there at least. <laughs> and what's your coaching website? Yes, it is smilesandmilescoaching.com. <laughs> Perfect. And I'll link all of those if you want to follow Jess or work with Jess as an athlete or just 
sync up with her yeah awesome yes would be happy to talk with anybody <laughs> awesome yeah. thank you so much kelly yeah thank you yeah have a good day <laughs> <laughs> That's a wrap on this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening to this. If you like this podcast, please rate, subscribe, review everything you do for podcasts wherever you listen to them. It helps me out immensely and helps other people find the show and just spread my message. And if you haven't already, connect with me on Instagram or TikTok at Coaching Klutz. You can also find me at my website, coachingklutz.com, if you're looking for my coaching services or any of my running programs. And I will talk to you all next time. 